Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10x points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Let's be honest. The first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away, because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think, and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I am Matt. And today, we are answering your listener questions. Welcome to uh, an Ask How to Money episode. This is when all you listeners out there send us voice memos via email. You just pop that, that phone right up to your mouth. You go to voice memo on your iPhone or what's the app on uh, on, on the droids? You got called something similar. I don't some, know. The, yeah. <laughs> really. Voice recorder or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think that's it actually. But you just record that voice memo. You email it our way. And then we queue those questions up and we seek to provide you with the best answers possible. We've got five great ones this week. Uh, a listener is wondering if she should buy a car in this kind of crazy post-pandemic market where prices are all over the place. Another listener is debating whether she should invest in real estate as opposed to the stock market. And then uh, another, he's got a question about rolling over a 401k or converting that 401k. We're going to talk about both of those options that lie before him. Plus, we've got two other questions to get to today. Joel, looking forward to all five of them, Yeah, if you're counting. Uh, I was. Yeah. So busy day here on How to Money. A lot of good questions to get to. But uh, before we get to that, Matt, I just want to mention, we, we do have a couple of car questions, specifically a, a, a car insurance question and then also a buying a used car question, which is true. A difficult time to buy a used car, or specific, uh, and it specifically has been over the past couple of years. But I just wanted to pre- present something else on the car front to you before we dive in. Because car, car heavy episode today. Yeah. Well, I got this. I got this 
this uh, physical letter in the mail the other day from this company called Car Shield. And you, you love getting stuff in the mail. Yeah, I've been getting some weird <laughs> stuff in the mail lately. I'm like, and it just, uh, I was like, this is something that you're if like, other people are getting this in the mail too, they need to know that's true. that this is crap. True. And so you're like my kids. You like as soon as you get home, you like run out to the mailbox, see if, <laughs> <laughs> see if there's something in there for them. I get so excited to see if there's like spammy stuff in there. Well, uh, here's what it says on on their mailer. It says get vehicle service protection before it's too late. And it tells me, hey, guess what? Uh, monthly coverage is going to help you take care of the parts, taxes, and labor on any covered repair at, without fa- a factory warranty or a vehicle service contract on your automobile. You are financially liable for any and all vehicle repairs. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like, it's my that's, car. That's, I, uh, that's what it takes to own a vehicle. <laughs> I signed up to pay for those things, and I don't really need what you're offering because... Well, I'm going to call... So, with what you said so far, I'll call out the key phrase that I heard, which is uh, repairs that are covered. Uh-huh. Right? Exactly. I, I, I got to feel... Of course. Read 100% print. of all of these three uh, <laughs> <laughs> repairs are covered or whatever. Right. I'm sure it's more than three, but I'm sure it's also a lot more difficult than going to get a repair done yourself. Well, yeah. So we talked recently about the home warranties and how those are crappy. And part of the reason those are crappy is because, yeah, there's a limitation on what repairs they're going to do. And you pay a fee every single time you do get something repaired. And oftentimes it takes a lot longer or maybe they won't replace something even though it needs to be fully replaced. They're like, no, we're just going to repair it. But repairing it is a dumb idea. Well, it's probably, it seems like it's going to be similar with something something like this. Plus the cost, it's not cheap. You can get silver, gold, platinum or diamond coverage anywhere between $79 a month and $109 a month, mm. which my car is probably worth something like $4,000. So I'm, I'm literally paying a, a third of the price of the car annually Not to have, interested. yeah, to have some sort of uh, repair coverage. So self-insuring is, is clearly the best way to go in my case. And in the case of almost everybody, like I can't imagine this works out in anybody's financial favor uh, to, to go down this path. Yeah. So, okay. So I just looked this up and surprisingly car shield, they actually get, they do get good reviews. Oh, wow. And so you might get this thing in the mail and think maybe, maybe do a quick search and realize, oh no, these guys seem totally legit. But if you look at the complaints, the folks who are complaining, like they might get around to doing the work. So it's not like it's a total scam. It's just, do you want to have to deal with an intermediary? I mean, it's like uh, going through insurance, basically. This is a, essentially kind of like a form of insurance. And what's easier, filing a claim with your insurer after you've gotten a wreck or like going to the tune-up place and getting an oil change? Yeah. One of these is not like the other. <laughs> I mean, I guess well, they're, and, and they're very dissimilar to each other. Don't you want to be able there's to... A, there's a huge hassle factor as well. And don't you want to be able to pick where you take your car for service? And you might not totally. be able to under something like this. You might yep. have to go to places that are further away, less convenient. Or they're like, oh, we're going to have to look up the repair person on our PPO. Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> is that's it, how something like this works. Yeah. Or <laughs> is this car repair? And especially, yeah, hopefully you, you bought a car that is more reliable by consumer reports. And when you look at the annual cost of maintenance for, for a lot lot of those cars that are the most reliable even a 10 year old car we're talking about four or five hundred bucks a year is what you should be is what you should expect to pay in maintenance costs whereas even if you pick the lowest option on this you're talking about close to a thousand dollars a year yep. by the way they do they do say it's endorsed by ice tea and vivica a fox so okay mm, well now that you mentioned that joel yeah that sways me that sways me all right all right if ice tea says it, it says it's cool then i guess we'll we'll go with it let's get to our beer uh this episode you and i are enjoying a curzon rude and this is a barrel aged flanders red ale this is a fantastic beer by a local brewery here in atlanta wild heaven looking forward to enjoying this one i'm already enjoying it but i'm looking forward to talking about it more at the end of the episode for sure all right let's get on to it matt again you mentioned that people can submit their questions if you've got a, a personal finance question and you want to know how you get it over to us we'll just go to howtomoney.com ask there are simple instructions there so that you can record your voice send it over to us and hopefully we can play it here and then give our answer with our voices but matt let's get to yeah. the uh the first question of this episode this one is about investing in properties or in the market hi guys this is amanda from windsor california i discovered your show about a month ago and have already listened to about 70 episodes your advice has really affected my mental shift from surviving comfortably to growing wealth and for that i'm very grateful I am a somewhat new government employee, and I have a pension that will pay 95% of my highest earning level if I retire at 67. I'm 38 now. I plan to contribute to a Roth IRA when eligible, but that would probably be for the next five years or so. I have no TSP, HSA, or 401k option. 
I have no significant debt aside from our home loan and about $30,000 in student loans. My partner is also saving for his retirement, so let's assume that he has his bases covered, but not excessively so. My question is, is it smarter to put money into a traditional IRA or save to invest in real estate? We recently purchased our home and would most likely rent it out before selling if we decided to downsize in the future. We live in a traditionally safe and robust rental market, but would probably want to invest out of state at first due to the difference in housing cost, but only in markets we're familiar with. So what do you think? Should I still focus on retirement savings or take the leap into real estate? Thanks for all you do. All right, Amanda, thank you so much for that question. Uh, and Joel, you know, one thing that stood out to me about Amanda's question, there's like a, a real sense of maturity in what it is that she is bringing to her question, unlike you and I on this show. <laughs> uh, but she is looking pretty far off into did the you distance. you call me immature? I did, I did. <laughs> um, or, or both of us, I, she, I couldn't she, she just has the, the proper perspective when it comes to some of these moves that she's looking to make with her money. She realizes that it's going to take a good amount of time. She realizes that this is something that's going to take years. And oftentimes when we're looking to make some of these changes in our life, we we want it to be done. We want it to happen overnight. We want to see immediate changes. We want to see things. It's like, well, I have all the knowledge now. Why can't I make the changes and immediately see some results? But the fact is, that's just not how the personal finance game is played. And that's just something that I appreciate about about Amanda. She's talking about how maybe in like five years, I'll have I'll be eligible for a Roth IRA. It doesn't happen overnight. But I love I love that she's already made a mindset shift. And that is so powerful. I I still remember it didn't happen overnight. But I still remember that mindset shift because I've told the story on on this show of how I grew up with money, how my parents didn't handle it well, and how I had this kind of frugal penny pinching mindset. And I didn't realize until early 20s still I learned it young fortunately but that uh, wait a second wait a second I don't have to just have this like this view of money like it's all trying to escape through my fingers and I've got to try to keep as much in as possible like I can build wealth and that kind yeah. of build, shift to the building wealth mindset is clutch it's key in helping you as you know you move forward uh, with those money decisions absolutely yeah. and Amanda she has that mindset but your, your question specifically Amanda you're talking about real estate or investing in the stock market and first of all we are fans of investing in real estate uh, because savvy investors uh, real estate investors specifically, they're often able to turn out better results, better returns than their counterparts who are exclusively investing within the stock market. But that being said, there are some important caveats that we have to mention. And one of those is complexity, right? There are a, a lot more moving parts when it comes to investing in real estate. There's a lot more due diligence and work required. Uh, so for instance, like buying index funds on autopilot, that's something like a one. That's it's a one or a two out of ten on the mental energy spectrum yeah. and on the uh, the spectrum of complexity. Saving up for and pouncing on that perfect rental property that's going to cash flow well. That's going to be more like a like a nine out of ten. Yeah, uh, that's true. And so, I, like I mentioned, that because like the returns can be superior, but it's often going to require much more time, much more energy on the front end. And so, a question to ask yourself is like, do I have the resources to dedicate? to real estate in order for this to be a successful endeavor. I think it's important to think through how passive you you want this investment to be. Um, if you, It sounds like you are pretty happy with the job that you have. Like I feel like that's something else to kind of consider is, well, you seem it doesn't seem like you want to change careers. If, for instance, you were saying, I'm totally sick of my job. I'm really obsessed, infatuated. I really want to get, get into real estate. Well, I would say, all right, well, cool. This this is something that is going to require more of your time. This could be something uh, that you could pursue professionally. I mean, you could even get your uh, realtor's license. Like this could be something where you increase the discount available to you via your professional pursuit uh, of this activity. But if this is just something that you're thinking about doing on the side, just realize that it's not an apples to apples comparison yeah. when you're talking about the time and energy required. Yeah, I remember... I don't know, this was maybe a year ago or something, Matt, where you and I, we did an episode about the myth of passive income. Mm -hmm. And that phrase gets thrown around a lot. 
in our world and in the personal finance world. But the truth is, there's not much out there that's truly passive. And index funds, uh, investing every two weeks in index funds in those retirement accounts is probably the only thing. Like you said, it's probably a one or a two. Like it's really yep. simple and it doesn't it's, take much effort or it's thought. Barely there. Yeah, it barely <laughs> registers on your brain, but you're doing something proactive for your future. But if you're investing in real estate, it's a different ball game. And it, it, yeah, people talk about it as passive income, but the reality is that there's a lot of work at play. So it's it doesn't really function that way in your mm-hmm. life. It yep. requires a lot more mental energy. And uh, Amanda also mentioned investing out of state, which is certainly possible. But uh, David from Bigger Pockets, I remember he came on our show a couple years ago, Matt, and he actually wrote the book on that. He wrote the book on investing out of state. And so if you're really, really interested in doing that, Amanda, we would say, check out his book and maybe go back and listen to that episode. But yeah, e- even though you know, real estate outside of California is going to be more financially accessible, and it's probably going to provide better returns for you, at least on a month-to-month cash flow basis. It's also a bigger gamble to buy a property that's yep. further away from where you live. And basically, then you've got to find uh, a management company to take care of it for you. You've got to find the one that you that you trust, that keeps up the property well, that has your best interest at heart. You're, you're just introducing additional layers of risk if you're looking at long-distance landlording. And so it's not that it can't be done. It's just that we're talking about ramping up the level of difficulty even more. And basically, we're, we're talking about margins that are getting even thinner. Because like you said, Joel, when you hire management, I mean, that directly has an impact on your uh, to day, your month to month expenses. Yeah. And one of our friends, Matt, and previous guest, 5AM Joel, he bought a house thousands of miles away because he's a Californian too. He lives in LA and he bought one in another state. I believe it was in Texas. And he uh, found out that his tenant was using the property for an illegal side hustle, which is, yeah, you can guess what that might be. (laughs) And so those are the kind of things where if you're not present or actively involved in the management of your property, uh, you never know what can happen. And so I know I've known a lot of people who have kind of like decided that because the numbers make more sense with long distance landlording, then that's the path they're going to go. But it doesn't always work out that way in actuality. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We think of uh, real estate investing as more of like an advanced strategy. It is an awesome one, but it's, you know, again, it's just going to require more money up front as well as that research, that time, that fortitude as well. After you're, you're gonna, you know, you make some offers, uh, you miss out on some properties that you really thought were going to be the one. And, you know, if you told us that you were already investing within your retirement accounts, like for years, then I think we might have a different answer for you. Uh, but for now, we would suggest, you know, you start off by sticking money within that IRA and start just buying basic index funds on the reg. Uh, and if you are then able to max that out while continuing to save for that future down payment, then I think we'd be ready to give you two thumbs up for that property purchase down the road. You just want to make sure that you're tackling your investing goals in a way that can like build on previous successes. There's yeah. sort of like an order of investing and when you can easily sock away money to invest within uh, an individual retirement account that's widely diversified, that's definitely going to be the first step we would recommend. For sure. And when you're talking about, uh, another thing that needs to be mentioned, Matt, is, is diversification. Because when we're talking about buying one property, let's say, in a state, maybe 10 states away, uh, well, that is, you're not very diversified, right? You own one property and you're hoping against hope that the market uh, is in your favor. But when you buy an index fund, you're buying hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies in one lump sum with a small amount of money even. And so you're well diversified. So we, we, we don't want you putting too, uh, all your eggs in one basket is what we're saying, Amanda. That's you know the opposite of what you're doing when you buy an investment property. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and again, if you'd already had an incredibly well-diversified portfolio, like Matt said, because you've been investing for years on end inside of a, you know a retirement account, uh, put sticking your money in index funds, then it would be probably a different answer. But you know you already own a home, you already have some exposure there, and since we're we're really just talking about investing here, we're going to point you in the direction of investing in the market, getting making sure that your assets are are more diversified. While, while still taking the easy route too. Absolutely. And that's not to say that in several years, I mean, she could continue, let's say she maxes out her IRA, her retirement accounts, and then still has additional money. She could stick that money into a brokerage account. Yeah. And she's, she's talking about doing this years down the road. So three, four, five years down the road, uh, if she then wants to get into investing in real estate, that is something she could totally take some money out of that brokerage account to put towards a property that she wants to purchase. And hopefully by then, interest rates might be in a better spot as well. It's difficult right now to think through buying a, an investment property with a national average for 30 years pushing close to 7%. Yeah. So and that's the, the timing. Real estate investors are going to pay even more than that. Yeah, exactly. And so with all that in mind, we think that investing in the market is the, the smart thing to do right now. I like this as a, a medium to long-term goal for Amanda. 
into though, Abs- right? Like, absolutely. Let's make the short-term yep. goal index funds in the IRA. Let's make the medium to long-term goal. But down the road, buying an investment property, then you can do it. Yeah. yeah. And also, Amanda, by the way, you like you mentioned, you know, not having access to some of those other retirement accounts that that we like to talk about all the time. But having that pension, which we didn't even touch on, that more than makes up for. Uh, access that you don't have, but you also don't want to fully rely on that pension. Uh, and so because of that, we're glad to see that you're still choosing to invest in other tax advantaged accounts, even though you've got that bird in the hand with the pension. It's, it's a great thing to have, but don't solely rely on that. We love that you are looking for other ways to also invest your money. Yeah. Anybody who has a pension, they might assume, oh, cool. That's going to take care of me. I don't need to invest for myself in anything else. But we would say, no, that's not the case. You should be investing in, alongside that pension. Granted, there are many people who have access to a pension anymore, but let's say our, our teacher listeners, Matt, they should, they should still be investing apart from their pension, uh, saving up for their future because yeah, their pension is going to help out a lot, but it's not going to cover all their expenses in retirement. But uh, we got more questions to get to on this episode. We're actually going to take an interesting one about car insurance. And we'll get to, to that one right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm-hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, oh, Matt, I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. 
and you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney for your extended 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we are back from the break. And here in a second, we're going to hear from a listener who is asking about what to do with an old 401k from a previous employer. But first of all, let's get to that car insurance question that touches on an aspect of car insurance that I don't think we've ever talked about. Hey, man, Joel, this is Dakota from Davenport, Iowa. I love the show and I'm a big fan of craft beer myself. You guys have taught me so much over the past year. I've been listening and I really appreciate it. I got a question for you today about CPI and car insurance. I have a car loan for $5,000, which I've paid down a few hundred dollars the past few months. My bank found out I only have liability and they charged me a fee of $840, which is annually to insure the loan. So if I pay liability insurance and pay that CPI every year, that would be $1,920 annually. I shopped around for full coverage to get rid of the CPI, and the cheapest I could find was $4,000 annually. Is it worth getting full coverage and paying the additional cost to have more coverage on my vehicle and no CPI or opt for $2,000 less a year? I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts on this. All right, Matt, let's get to this question. It's an interesting one. And we, yeah, we usually, when we talk about CPI, we're talking about the consumer price index. <laughs> exactly. Inflation. But we're talking about something different today. That is a different thing. Yeah. Well, and first off, we should say that car insurance can be expensive. Anybody who drives a car knows this. And it's crucial to look into what your insurance company is going to charge you on an annual basis before you buy a car, whether you're buying used or new. I would call my insurance company and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm planning on upgrading to this uh, 2012 Toyota Camry, because right now maybe you're driving like a 2003 or something like that, and you're like, ah, I'm gonna I'm going to roll with some fresh wheels. We'll call up and ask ahead of time, how much more am I going to be charged for insurance by making this fancy upgrade? That's right. Getting this new car. That's, that's how to money fresh, by the way. Right. How, to, how to money fresh is a 2012 that's as right. opposed to an 03. Well, and, and the, the truth <laughs> is older cars are typically going to save you money on multiple fronts. They're cheaper up front, right, of course, uh, that they're just going to cost you less out of pocket to buy the car. But for lots of folks, if you opt for an inexpensive car, you can self-insure to a greater degree, which means you're going to avoid the the need for comprehensive coverage. And that is great because only having liability is going to save you big money in insurance premiums. And and uh, so, yeah, like that kind of leads us into the heart of Dakota's question here. That's right. Yeah. But that being said, it's going to take some time for Dakota to get to that point because he still owes money on this vehicle. And so what he's talking about here in his question, he, he, he mentioned CPI, which stands for Collateral Protection Insurance. It's also known as Force Placed Insurance. Uh, basically the way it works, your lender is going to make you have this coverage if you haven't opted to get enough insurance coverage uh, on the vehicle that they are selling you or lending you the money for you to be able to buy. Essentially, they're protecting themselves in this scenario. It's it's not unlike PMI uh, when it comes to housing. So that is private mortgage insurance where the lender is taking out this additional policy because there's basically a higher chance of you not paying uh, your mortgage payment. Yeah, because uh, you didn't come come with enough money to the closing table. Exactly, and, and that's basically what's going on here. They're kind of penalizing you for not maintaining a high enough degree of coverage on that vehicle. But you can avoid this expensive policy by getting enough insurance coverage on your own, ensuring that the asset, in this case the car, uh, that you're still paying for is well protected. Yeah, all right, so... It's true. Dakota can avoid paying this CPI, which sounds expensive, like this policy, by by making sure that his auto insurance policy meets the minimums that are outlined in the sales agreement. And that would mean getting full coverage on this automobile because he still owes money on it. But like he mentioned, it, it's way more expensive, right, than CPI, which is which is actually kind of odd because typically full coverage is, would be more affordable than this force placed insurance. Right. Uh, I'm not I'm not really sure why his it's, quotes are coming in it's, so high. It's kind of backwards. Like normally, like you are paying a serious premium for yeah. CPI, but in this case, it sounds like he is paying a, a serious <laughs> serious premium <laughs> yeah. for his full coverage compared to what their uh, what the increased increased rates were going to be for CPI. Yeah, and that that could 
could be because he's got tickets on his driving record or maybe a not so great credit score. We've talked about how your credit score often influences the premiums that you're going to pay for insurance, especially for car insurance. And uh, Dakota, I know you said you shopped around and it was, I think he phrased it like the cheapest that he could find, Mm -hmm. but I would do more shopping. I would shop extensively because this, we're talking about big chunks of change here. We're talking about a large amount of money. So um, if I were you, I would contact Policy Genius. I would look at the website like Caribou. I would look at uh, call a, a local independent agent. I would want to leave no stone unturned in my search for a lower rate if I were you because, yeah, this is big money. We're talking about a thousand plus dollars a year. And so if you can find a car insurance company who is willing to give you full coverage at a lower rate, that would be the ideal scenario. I'd, if I were you, I'd be working my butt off to find something like that. And especially considering he's in the state of Iowa, and Iowa is one of the more affordable states to insure a vehicle. It's not like, I don't know what the most expensive state is, but we looked it up. Iowa is actually pretty dang affordable. But Dakota, let's say that $4,000 is the lowest price that you can find for, for some reason. If that's the case, then if it was me, I would most likely stick with the CPI um, and pay that extra 800 bucks, even though I wouldn't be getting any additional benefit from the CPI because it's just there for the lender. Paying an, an additional two thousand dollars on top of that for an annual premium around four thousand dollars—that's just like I, like I'm not going to be driving a car at that point. <laughs> like I would much rather ride my bike somewhere as opposed to paying that much stinking money to get oh, around. Yeah. You could almost Uber every day instead, uh, and yeah, potentially even save money. Exactly. I would, I would walk and bike and Uber, and uh, it just seems like prohibitively expensive. Find more creative ways to get around. Take yep. the bus. Exactly. Um, public transportation. Just there, there, there have got to be other options than paying that much money for car insurance. Uh, and hopefully this goes without saying as well, but we want you to to work to pay off that loan quickly. Because once you've been able to do that, you're going to now be able to self-insure like we were talking about at, at the beginning of your question, because you're going to be able to save up a solid chunk of cash in the bank, in your savings account to pay for repairs uh, or even for a new used car. If you were to, to get in an accident that you know ended up totaling your current ride, then you can save a big chunk of money by opting for liability coverage only. And so there's just multiple ways where you are paying more than you need to be because you've got a loan on this car. Uh, you could have gotten a more affordable car, a cheaper car, where you could have paid cash up front, which then would have lowered your premiums, which because you would have not had to pay additional money for CPI. Uh, you would then not have to carry comprehensive and collision. There are just multiple factors that are working against you. And then one final note here, uh, drive this car for a really long time (laughs) because the longer you can go without a car payment uh, moving forward in the future, the more that you're going to be able to pay attention to and then begin to crush some of the other financial goals that you have. It seems like that this one issue, this one transportation question might be keeping you from making like some of the, some serious progress uh, with some of the other things in your life. Yeah, it does. It does. And it's true, man, that that happens for a lot of people. They, they often allocate too many dollars to towards transportation in their lives, towards cars, insurance, gas, uh, depreciation, maintenance, all that kind of stuff. And they find very little left over to be able to save for things that matter, to be able to invest for their future. Mm. That's a real problem, right? Yeah. We, we should all be looking to, I think, lessen the amount of our dollars uh, in our budget that go towards transportation. Yeah. And, and also too, I don't want you to feel like we're beating up on you, Dakota, because from personal experience, I have made these exact same mistakes. My biggest financial mistakes in my past had to do with cars. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm kind of preaching to my younger self. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's never <laughs> our goal. Well. It's never our goal when we take listener questions to make people feel bad. No, 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 no. It's, it's really just to provide the best information that they can move forward in the best way. And and the truth is, the, the more we can lessen the cost of a car in our lives, the more we can find alternative ways to get around, the better off we're going to be. And especially when it's this prohibitively expensive. So yep. for Dakota, it, it, it might even make the most financial sense to sell this car because the insurance is, is so dang expensive. Find another way to get around. Can you get by without a car until you saved up the money to pay cash for one. I don't know. I'm just saying that should be thrown in the mix at least uh, when it comes to how he's thinking about this decision. And you know, it, just for everybody else out there too, Matt, the, the price difference, I looked this up, between full coverage and minimum coverage across the 50 states, the, the average difference is somewhere between $1,000 and $1,500 a year. And it's not that we're recommending minimum coverage. That might be a cheap move. You, you might need more coverage than that on your car. It, it could cost you more in the long run, right? Let's say you cheap out on coverage, you get in an accident, and you're out, uh, you're out of pocket 
it a whole lot more. But it's helpful to know that there are ways to opt for a policy that's going to eventually cost you a whole lot less. And so hopefully this motivates Dakota, but also a bunch of How to Money listeners who who haven't recently yeah. you know done so to get out there and shop rates. We've got an article about a bunch of different ways you can save on your insurance. We'll link to that in the show notes. But Dakota, we wish you the best of luck finding better coverage for less money. And uh, we wish the same for, for everybody out there. That's right. And with those additional funds, Dakota might be able to funnel more of his dollars into a retirement account. Our next question has to do with just that. Hi, Matt and Joel. My name is Gio. I'm from Florida. I've been uh, listening to you guys for the last couple of years now. I really enjoy everything you do for us. Today, I have a question regarding my 401k. My last employer offered a 401k from Fidelity. I have probably less than 3k in it at the moment. Unfortunately, my new job doesn't offer any 401k, but they have an HSA plan. So should I wait till I get a job with 401k and roll it over or turn it into a Roth IRA? Thank you. And uh, I really appreciate everything you do. Bye. All right, Gio, thanks for your question. And we appreciate you being a listener to How to Money. First thing, let's give some mad props to your previous employer because they had their 401k, the company a retirement plan there with Fidelity. Round of applause, please. Absolutely. They are they're one of the absolute best in the business because they keep costs low. Expense ratios, they're the main difference uh, between index funds that all the different brokerages offer uh, because you know, the actual stocks within the funds are basically identical, right? Like uh, an S&P 500 fund over at Fidelity, it's basically going to be the same over at State Street, right? Their, their holdings are all going to be the same. And so the way that you get the best performance is by minimizing those fees. And so, for example, Fidelity, Schwab, Vanguard, they all have the more, most affordable funds or S&P 500 funds at like 0.01 to 0.03%. Which is like microscopic, man. It's, it's basically not even there. Yeah, you, um, you can't find them. But imagine if you're paying 2.31% every single year. Uh, if that were the case, you would see much lower returns because that fee is going to eat into your investments. And by the way, I didn't just make up that that 2.31% number. That's an actual expense ratio of an S&P 500 fund. Oh. It's like uh, like Guggenheim investments or something. I, I barely even want to mention them because I don't want... Well, actually, it's good to call them out because there's no stinking reason that they should be charging that much for That's something outrageous. that you can get virtually for free with one of our low-cost providers. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I, I can't imagine if, if that's what they're the fee on their S&P 500 fund. Like, what do they charge for other more actively managed like funds? A, like a fancy fund. It's got to be probably, yeah, I mean, double that. You're six, never going to make any returns 7%. there. 7%. Yeah, it's, it's, that's pretty pretty astronomical, pretty awful. We just, egregious. we just had a chart about the high cost of fees, how they impact your returns over time in a recent newsletter, Matt, and you can find it on our Instagram page as well. But it's amazing. Like something like a, a 2.3% fee, even that, like you might say, oh, okay, that sounds high, but maybe it's not ridiculous, but it, it can it can massively crush your returns in a big way. I mean, costing you hundreds of thousands of dollars in your investing career. And uh, yep. let's talk about rollovers though, because that's what Gio's really asking about. Just a quick mention for other folks, uh, how do many listeners with an old 401k who haven't looked uh, at that account maybe in years, they should really consider rolling over their their uh, 401k with uh, into one of the low-cost companies. And in particular, if your old workplace retirement account is with an insurance company or it's with somebody like Guggenheim that charges just <laughs> out of control, insane fees, it's, it's time to get out because there's a good chance you're paying way too much more than you should. And the cool thing is you can do this rollover yourself. It's it's not too difficult to make that happen. But we've also mentioned Capitalize recently on the show a number of times, and we'll probably keep talking about them when, whenever we're talking about rolling over a 401k, because they're going to help you get this done. They do it for free, and you can choose from the best affordable companies. Matt, you mentioned Fidelity, Schwab, Vanguard. Capitalize works with yeah, all boy. of the above. And so you can, mm-hmm. you can basically have them do the rollover, manage it on your behalf. They don't don't charge you a penny and then you've gone from massive fees to super low fees and you've done a financial adulting task with with very little <laughs> effort on your part that's right uh but geo you, you know you mentioned not just rolling your old account to a new, new brokerage but converting it into a roth ira as well and this could be a great move for you, uh, especially while the market, it's, it's kind of in a slump. It's in a bit of a swoon. It's important to note, however, that you'll be converting from a traditional 401k into a Roth IRA, which is going to come with some tax consequences. But if you're prepared to pay Uncle Sam a bit of money come April, 
paying a, a little bit of tax now in order to make that conversion happen, that could be a brilliant move on your part. Uh, and that's because you'll pay those taxes now, you'll do that just one time, but then that account will never be taxed again. You mm -hmm. will never have to worry about money that you are converting over after that point. Yeah, especially when it's kind of a small sum, it makes it easier to take that tax gut punch. And, and that's, that's because, yeah, if you make that conversion from a traditional account into a Roth, you're going to pay tax on the conversion. How much money is that going to be? That's a really good question, right? That depends on which tax bracket you find yourself in. But it could be anywhere from 10% of the total to 37% of the total. That just depends. If like, you make a bank. Yeah. If, <laughs> if you're if you're like uh, lives of the super rich and famous, then you're going to be at that 37% rate. Our, our general advice would be that it makes the most sense if you're opting to convert to a Roth and your effective tax rate is somewhere in the teens, right? So yeah, once Teens or, or even lower. Yeah, 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 ideally lower, right? Uh, but once your marginal rate is up in the 20% range, it starts getting more difficult to take that plunge. Um, and luckily, since we're talking about a fairly small amount of money here, like we said, 3,000 bucks, the taxable amount is likely to be a few hundred bucks, like not too shabby. It's not going to make this massive difference in how much you're gonna owe come April. In all likelihood, you'll barely notice it, but this one move could shelter you from a lot of uh, potential future taxation. That's right, especially considering, so he just got a new job, and let's say his new job, he knows he's going to be on this pathway to making X amount more every single year. If he yeah. knows that that's going to be the case, man, it makes all the sense in the world to go ahead and... and swallow what feels like a tough pill to swallow right now, but yeah. just trust us, it's, it's likely <laughs> going to be tougher off in the future. Yeah, if Gio's like starting to make like Malibu beachfront property kind of money, <laughs> and he's like, oh yeah, my, my income's going way up, guys. It's not Malibu, he's from Florida, dog. Yeah. Like what? we're talking Miami. Yeah, true. Yeah, all right. <laughs> maybe he's like, maybe Making he's got two Miami places. waterfront. <laughs> maybe he's got water money. He's bi-coastal at this point, right? That's how much <laughs> money he's got. And if he's getting into that territory, then it makes more sense, right, to, to pay the tax now before sooner, he starts making the big bucks. Yeah, sooner than later for sure. Uh, and actually, while we're talking about taxes, Gio, you, you know, you mentioned that you've got access to an HSA at your new job. Unfortunately, you don't have access to that 401k. But HSAs are the most tax advantage retirement accounts out there. We talked about this back in the day, back in episode 105. Uh, Y'all out there, if you're listening and you've never heard us talk about HSAs, go back and listen to that episode because you'll realize the triple threat, the triple tax advantage that that account has. But start contributing to that account as well since you have access to it. And hopefully uh, that account is going to be with a low cost company, again, like Fidelity, because that's something that they offer HSAs. Uh, we appreciate you asking the question and you are asking all the right questions. I like that you're, your mind, like you're on the right track. We love where you're going with your money and we wish you all the best of luck. Yeah. My, my brother-in-law was actually texting me this morning, Matt, about HSAs. And he's like, man, all right, how do I tell, how do I convince all my coworkers that they need to be socking money in an HSA? Cause I guess they're, they, they could put money in an HSA or an FSA. They have the option. And a lot of his coworkers go in the FSA route. And I'm like, man, preach the gospel of the goodness of the HSA. Cause if you start investing money in there, it, it's the only account that we know of where you'll never, ever pay tax on money that goes in or the money that grows or money that comes out. It's pretty dope. So, For qualified expenses. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Spoken like a true disclaimer. Thank you. Uh, all right. We got more questions to get to, Matt, including one about moving to a retirement house. Not like a nursing home, but like... Not like a retirement home, yeah, no. <laughs> no, but like their retirement house. Yeah. And we'll get, to, we'll get to that one. Plus one more. We'll get to those right after this. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. Kachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five-star reviews. 
It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Cachava. Just go to cachava.com slash how to money. That's spelled K-A-C-H-A-V-A and get 10% off your first order. That's K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash how to money. Joel, so we were just recounting our trip to Scotland. This is the trip that we took this time last year, actually, with some of our friends over the weekend. And one of the highlights from Edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm -hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, oh, man. I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Let's say you've been listening to the podcast and now you're finally ready to start implementing some of the uh, the financial morsels that we're dishing up. Maybe you are trying to save up some more money for a down payment on a house, or maybe there's a big vacation that you have been dying to take. Well, the money app Monarch, they make it so easy to help you to reach your financial goals. That's why the Wall Street Journal, they named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, collaborate with your partner even. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. And you won't get spammed either. Monarch features ad-free privacy you can trust. They will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. That's right, man. And after trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. It just makes sense. It works. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash howtomoney. For your extended 30-day free trial, go to monarchmoney.com slash howtomoney for an extended 30-day free trial. All right, we're back taking listener questions. And Joel, let's get to this question that has its roots back in the snarled supply chains from the pandemic. Hi, How to Money team. This is Stephanie in Houston, Texas. She, her. And I was wondering, is it a better time to buy a used vehicle or a brand new one basically next year me and my partner are expecting our first child and uh, i've been hearing on various financial podcasts that it's a terrible time to buy a used vehicle so i was wondering is that true or how true is that and what i'm comparing this question to in my mind is sometimes people say it's a better time to rent versus to own Obviously, everyone's circumstances and situations are different, but I'm just curious in a general perspective, is it truly a terrible time to buy a used vehicle? Thank you so much. And I love the podcast. Take care. All right, Stephanie, first off, congrats on the baby. Babies are the best. They um, are. We, we, I was holding one the other day. And I was like, this is so nice. I haven't held a baby in a long time. And I had to give it back. And I was like, that's cool too, though. <laughs> <laughs> I love my kiddos, but don't want any more. But yeah, I'm so glad that you're enlarging your family. And, and let's talk about buying a car because right now, uh, now is probably not a good time to buy a car at all, whether we're talking new or used. And But the sad reality is it's also not a good time to buy bacon or eggs or houses <laughs> or just like all sorts of things because inflation is just kind of run amok, right? That's true. Yeah. So we, we would just say like, uh, go on a spending strike. Don't buy anything ever and then you'll be just fine. But obviously that, we're, that's not the reality we live in. We have to spend money on things. And and so, yeah, t- telling folks to sit on their hands, not buy anything at all, that's that's not helpful. So we won't do that. We'll avoid it. But we will do our best to offer real advice that helps you make a smart purchase here, Stephanie, because even though the, the used and new car markets are, are still pretty funky, we think there's some, some solid advice that we can lay out to help you make uh, an informed decision. 
Yeah, you know, uh, car prices, in particular, used car prices are not something that typically fluctuate or are all that volatile. But that's this is one of those things where over the past couple of years, we've seen the prices do something that we've never really seen before, which is increase year over year, as opposed to go down in cost. But it seems like the used car market is now starting to moderate. So are the prices. But even still, Stephanie, uh, that means cars are costing a good bit more today than they were even just a couple years ago. Uh, the average price of a used car is now $28,000, which Ooh. for a used car, right? Not, we're not talking new, we're talking used. This is 9% more uh, than it was last year. But the good news is that supply is increasing. And because of that, prices have come down a bit. And it looks like that prices are going to continue to come down uh, even more in the coming months. You asked about new cars uh, as well. Those have gone up in price even more, uh, somewhere closer to 13% year over year. Yeah, that's largely because of the, the chip shortages, right, Matt? Chip shortage. Um, it, well, yeah. I mean, so there's a chip shortage and a lot of those uh, chips are going into... So you've got a car manufacturer and they've got your base model, and then they got the luxury model. That's right. You've got a limited number of chips. What cars are you going to put those chips into? You're likely going to go for the ones that are going to give you the most margin. Yeah, the ones that cost more because they yeah, make exactly. you more money. Exactly. Yeah. And so either way you slice it, though, car prices are up. Uh, but that being said, we're rarely fans of buying new, uh, especially right now. Actually, on that note, we've got an article up on the site that we can link to because buying a new car, it could make sense if you plan on keeping it for a, a really long time, like for a decade or longer. Or if you've saved up the cash and it's just something that you want, uh, but whatever you do, do not finance a new car. Yeah, especially uh, with rates going up. Especially with rates going up. And, and better yet, we do think that going used is likely going to be the best uh, path for you to take. Yeah, buying used is the best path for almost everyone. We talked about this just a little bit earlier on the show, Matt, how having a used car is going to save you money on insurance, mm-hmm. right? It's, your car is going to depreciate less. So you're taking it taking it on the chin less uh, with how much value your car is losing every year. I mean, there's so many reasons for most people to buy new and to spend less money on a car so that it takes up less of your budget. Uh, but yeah, like you said, like all signs are pointing to the fact that the used car market is and will continue to be returning to some sort of a state of normalcy, which is the opposite of where things have been the past couple of years, like the sourcing parts and manufacturing a car. It's this long, arduous process. It takes a while for all the supply chains mm-hmm. uh, to, to ripple through the car manufacturing industry. So even as things are getting back to normal, it's not happening overnight. And But yeah, as more new cars are becoming available, that takes pressure off the used car market. And hopefully that'll mean more affordable prices. So I don't know if it was me, Stephanie, I would wait as long as I could as used cars should resume some sort of typical depreciation in the coming year or two. And I totally understand. I get the impulse to buy a different car with a baby on the way. But the truth is, depending on which car you're driving, unless you're driving like literally some sort of two-seater, you can put a baby in most cars and you might want to prioritize a car that has, you know, more safety features or something like that. And the the truth is that you don't necessarily need to, to swap cars just because you're having a baby and Unless you have some sort of some sort of sports car that only seats two people, uh, you, you know you, you probably you'll probably want a different car at some point. But it would also be a good time to ask yourself the question, like whether or not the car you you're currently driving actually works now that you've got a, a baby on board, or whether you actually have to get something new or not. Yeah, I think folks think that they often. You said baby on board. It makes me think of like the bumper sticker. The bumper stickers, the magnets on the back of oftentimes the minivans or the big SUVs. You don't have to necessarily get the sticker and the minivan or the sticker and the SUV. Like you like you said, Joel, you can continue. I'm sure it's not going to be easy to do this, but it is totally possible to hit the button on the seat where it flips forward and then you click that baby seat back there. Like mm-hmm. that is totally doable, especially if that means that in the near future, maybe in the next you know 18 months, you're going to be able to get a used car for, for much less money. But regardless, when the time comes, we definitely uh, consult with Consumer Reports as you're looking at some of those different used models because you want to make sure to, you know, that you're able to research whichever car it is that you want to buy. You want to make sure that it's going to work for you and your family uh, for years to come. And also you want to make sure that you get whatever car you're looking at checked out by a trusted mechanic. You want to make sure that you are not purchasing something that's in need of some serious repairs that, you know, that's going to set you back hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. But one other thing, if you are making uh, a swap, right? So if you are selling a car and then purchasing a new car or not a used, uh, not a new car, but a used car, then it doesn't really matter as much because if the market is the used car market is hot, well, if you're able to sell a vehicle but then also buy one at the same time, it's not like you are you know 
getting totally screwed over. Uh, if you are looking to add a car to the fleet, though, that's when what we've said previously uh, definitely applies, where, yeah. where you want to wait as long as possible. Because while we, we don't know the future, we do think that that's the direction that things are going as there is going to be more new car inventory available. Yeah, a swap, not so big a deal right now, but buying a new-to-you used car is, yeah, it's going to cost you more than it normally would. And mm-hmm. we do think those prices are going to come down. It might take a minute. But yeah, being patient and actually is going to pay doing a little more of an assessment about whether or not you need that car in your life or not would be would be a smart move. And if you do, sometimes you just got to bite the bullet. Right. Um, But we would also say you can buy a great car that is older that will serve you and your new baby well as well. So, Stephanie, best of of luck to y'all in this car search. And as you grow your family, Matt, let's get to the last question for this episode. This one is about renting out a house that they bought to eventually live in. Hi guys, my name is Cindy and I live in the Indianapolis, Indiana area. And I have a couple questions for you about um, our housing situation and the changes that we're gonna be making. So like I said, I live in Indiana and we have bought a retirement home in Arizona. And in a few years, we will sell our current home, which we do not have a mortgage on, and move to our Arizona home which has a mortgage. In the meantime, we are renting out our Arizona home, and I have questions about the best way to manage this transition. Should we make improvements while it's still a rental to reduce our profits? There are some things we would like to upgrade and want to know if we should do them now or wait until we move. Is there anything I need to be aware of when selling a primary residence and then making our rental our primary residence? And should we keep the mortgage on the rental when we move or pay it off? Any other advice you can share would be greatly appreciated. Thanks a lot. All right, Cindy, thank you so much for that question. These are all actually great questions. Uh, And again, like one of our our questions earlier, I love that you are thinking ahead, uh, already owning this home and renting it out. This sounds like a savvy move to me. And, you know, hopefully you've got a low rate locked in that kind of just makes it sweeter. (laughs) Realizing that, oh, it's it's not like we've got to purchase a home in the next year in order to move, you know, to actually retire and, and head south. Finding a property is, is hard enough. I can't imagine doing that with uh, with rates where they are as well. It's also so much easier to do it while you're still employed. W two bringing home oh, the paycheck. That's true. You know, so it's it's just easier to qualify for that mortgage, and and so thinking ahead in that regard can be helpful. Exactly. Yeah. But uh, let's go ahead and first talk about the practicality of. Uh, your first, the first part of your question, because undergoing renovations while tenants uh, are in the home, this could potentially make the uh, the tenant unhappy. <laughs> you might have some renters who are not happy with uh, what you've asked them to endure, uh, because you know how intrusive are these renovations going to be? In an enormous kitchen remodel like that could be really tough to pull off while someone is there living in the home uh, while they're paying you rent. But on the other hand, like some smaller, maybe some even medium-sized projects that improve the home for the current tenant, that could be feasible while also increasing what you're able to demand in rent. But it is important to note that you won't be able to deduct any of those costs. Um, yes, you know, you mentioned how, you know, the ability to reduce your profits, like you are going to reduce your profits. You're going to experience less money because of the money that you've spent towards improving this property. But the IRS won't let you deduct those expenses. So keep that in mind. Yeah. So let's talk about that for a second. But first, I just want to mention, Matt, that, uh, yeah, are those tenants going to be happy or not? I don't know, right? It depends on, yeah, how much work is being done, but it makes me, it reminds me of when I was younger, I was early twenties and living in, in town Atlanta. And I was looking at this, this small one bedroom condo and it was like way under market value. Why? Because the landlord wanted to do renovations while I was living in it, like extensive renovations. And I was like, I, I almost pulled the trigger because that's how cheap I am to live in this place. Uh, but I, I eventually was like, nah, it's just too much. Like, I can't, I can't deal with that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. If, if you're going to do extensive renovations, you're in all likelihood going to have to also give a price break to that tenant. Yeah. Um, or yeah, they might just be like, nah, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. I'm not interested in this. But let's talk about, yeah, deducting those expenses because the IRS has pretty strict definitions of the types of expenses that you can deduct on your annual taxes, you're going to be limited to what they deem ordinary and necessary expenses. And these are things like interest, taxes, utilities, insurance, and maintenance. And unfortunately, renovations, they don't typically qualify as 
maintenance. Instead, they're considered to be improvements, which you are able to depreciate on your taxes over the years, but you you can't deduct those that's expenses. Right. Yeah, and that's actually a word that she she used, I'm pretty sure, in her question. She's like, I want to make some improvements. Uh, I want to make this property nicer. It's not like she's just talking about making some of these repairs. She's talking about actually up like actual upgrades to yeah. the property. And if you're adding like a second floor to the home or something like that, right, that is an improvement, which you're- <laughs> A very clear improvement. <laughs> yeah, which you're not going to be able to deduct. But renovations don't typically qualify as, as maintenance. Instead, they're considered to be improvements, which you are able to depreciate on your taxes over the years, but you can't deduct those expenses. Any deducted expenses have to be actual maintenance or repair. So that means if you have a hole in your roof, you get it repaired, not replaced. Yeah, right? Get some new shingles in there. You don't get a whole new roof. No, because if you get a whole new roof. That's an improvement, baby. And then you're going to <laughs> depreciate it over a bunch of years. 27 and a half years, yeah, most or, likely. Or let's say your HVAC's not working. You have it serviced. You don't buy an entirely new unit because if you have it serviced, you can deduct that expense. But if you buy an entirely new unit, you're talking about depreciating it over time. So so yeah, that's the important conundrum here. And so you might just be annoying a tenant for no reason that's <laughs> beneficial to your bottom line. Yeah. And yeah. Bottom line, you probably want to wait until you move in because the ability to have, and I mean, if this is a home that you're retiring into, you, you likely care about the quality of the work being done. There are so many small decisions when it comes to a, a renovation that you're likely going to want to have some input over the shade of paint or, or, or like the placement of a particular faucet or something. I don't know. Right, whatever it is that you're looking to do. But Cindy, you know, you also asked about selling your current home. Well, this is going to be another tax win for you guys because you are not going to pay tax on any of the capital gains that are beneath the $500,000 threshold. Uh, the, the tax avoidance that you can achieve just from the sale of a primary home that's appreciated is pretty great. But then the question is, should you turn around and, and funnel those funds toward the mortgage of your of the new property, of the one down there in Arizona? Because traditional advice is going to say yes, uh, that you should avoid having a, a mortgage altogether within retirement. And I definitely see the wisdom uh, in that. But so much depends on what the rate is on that property that you've already got locked in. Uh, it depends on what your retirement portfolio looks like. It depends, you know, what immediate plans that you have once you retire to Arizona. Because uh, let's say your mortgage is, is uh, locked in at 4%. Well, if, if paying that off would mean tapping your social security earlier, for instance, it's not, you know, this would be a terrible short-sighted move. Uh, and that's because every year that you are able to delay receiving any benefits, you're going to see that social security payout increase by 8%. And so there are so many additional factors that you do want to keep in mind. It doesn't, it's not like there's just an automatic, like, this is what you should do with that money. Right. If you pay off that house, but then you're like, oh, now I got to tap my retirement funds in a down market to pay for this renovation that I really want to make happen. Well, then it would have been better to use that cash to pay for the reno than to pull it out of your retirement account. Exactly. In likelihood. Yeah. So in a couple of things, Cindy, like you're asking about like things to keep in mind as you're moving basically from Indiana down there to Arizona. Uh, a couple things, homestead exemption. That's something that you probably want to make sure you file for. That way you're able to shield some of that equity, some of the value of that home from taxes. Uh, and then sh insurance as well, because you most likely, hopefully what you've got on that property down there in Arizona is what's called a dwelling fire policy, where you have the actual home, the structure is insured, but not the stuff in it because you've got a renter in there, they've got their own renter's insurance, but as you move in there as your primary residence, of course, you're gonna want your stuff covered in case, you know, God forbid there's a fire or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's really important to note. And and I think it, it might make sense at this point in your life, Cindy, to consult a fee-only advisor. We don't always make that suggestion, but based on how complex your scenario is and all the, all the, but the big amounts of money that are at stake here with some of these decisions, you might wanna pay for a few hours of time with somebody who can help you make some of these decisions, especially when we're talking about tapping retirement funds, taking social security, mm -hmm. multiple houses and mortgages, renovations, stuff like that, you, you might want to yeah. involve an expert. And it could cost you hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a few hours of someone's time, but that could be well worth it to- It could to, save you, yeah. You're, you're, you're spending hundreds and hundreds, but it might save you thousands and thousands, yep. if, if not more. That's right. So, and, and we would suggest, again, fee-only planners, fiduciary fee-only planners. And XY Planning Network is one of the places we typically suggest people go look for those, but there's also NAPFA, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. That is, that's another great place to look for uh, fee-only advisors. So yeah, good job, Cindy. You're obviously, you're crushing it and we wish you the best of luck as you get closer to that retirement date. But Matt, let's get back to the beer that we had on this episode. This one. This delightful beer. This was so good. Yeah. What were your thoughts on this barrel-aged Flanders Red from Wild Heaven? I think I've said this before, but I think this is 
a good barrel-aged Flanders like this is, especially one where they've added a little extra cherry, which is what they've done. It's with tart cherries. I think this is absolutely uh, my favorite style of beer. It is so stinking good. It's acidic. It's fruity. It's got some funkiness from uh, being aged uh, within some wood. So it's got all those delicious oaky notes going along with it as well. Just as, I mean, honestly, this is a fantastic mixed fermentation beer uh, from our friends over there at Wild Heaven. I really enjoyed it. I'm assuming you did as well. Oh my gosh. This was this was a grand slam for mm-hmm. sure. The best beer I've ever had from this brewery. I've, yeah. Yeah. I think they so made as some well. good ones. They, they make some, yeah. They've also made some crappy ones, but <laughs> <laughs> but this is definitely this the, is the best one they made. So freaking good. And I think it was like subtly complex. I really liked how it did have a ton of flavor notes going on but none of them were overpowering um, and yeah the cherries were nice uh, nice and sweet the the vinegar tartness combined with the oaky presence Ugh. from the barrels it was just it like all blended together like so a little well. symphony in my mouth man it was really it was really good so uh, yeah big thanks to wild heaven for making good beers absolutely yeah I'm glad so you picked this one up and I'm glad you did because we were so we we're talking with our friend Theo and I don't know if he'd had a Flanders Red or if he was describing a beer and you know, he's just like, I think I like these flavors. And we made the recommendation to him and we're like, oh, dude, have you ever had a Flanders Red before? <laughs> we got we to gotta send him one of these. Oh, he would. Yeah. I've, by the way, I've, I, we keep seeing that guy all over town. Like <laughs> ran up the, the mountain the other day. I saw him standing there at the top of the mountain talking to a friend. You saw that Costco and the Braves game. Only thing that guy's missing is, is a Flanders Red in his hand. <laughs> I know. I'm surprised <laughs> he didn't show up for this recording. So, all right. That, that's going to do it for this episode. You can find show notes with links to some of the sites and resources we mentioned up on our website at howtomoney.com. But Joel, that's going to be it for this one, buddy. Until next time. Best friends out. Best friends out. Girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards, like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care and we'll see you there.